Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. We titled the message today, it's, it's called Grace, or the, the conversation or the topic is going to be Grace. The title is called Keeping Score, and it's called Keeping Score because that's what I tend to do a lot in my life. I keep score. Um, <clears throat> recently, you know, school's in full swing. Kids go back end of August, beginning of September. Kids are in sports. We have four kids. They're all over the place. They're all on different teams, doing different things. We're gone five or six days a week. I love it. Wouldn't change it for the world. I absolutely love it. But with that being said, we're from West Branch to Mount Pleasant to Leland to Traverse City to Sheboygan. We're all over the place, and it's fun, but we're on the road a lot. On the road a lot means you're eating out a lot because we're not home to have family dinner together. So we're out, and this is probably, I don't know, about a month ago. Uh, well, maybe a little bit over a month ago. Ethan and I are coming home, and he wants to stop at McDonald's. So we, we pull into McDonald's. He's like, there's this new meal, Dad, that I want to get, this Travis Scott meal. I'm like, Travis Scott meal? McDonald's doesn't have a Travis Scott meal. He's like, yes, they do. I, I really want it, Dad. So I pull up there, and I'm like, there's not a Travis Scott meal on the menu. I'm not ordering a Travis Scott meal. I'm not going to look like an idiot. So he pulls out his phone, and he shows me there's really a Travis Scott meal. So I get up there, and I order what I want, and I'm like, I'll, I'll have a Travis Scott meal? Like, question mark? He's like, yeah, no problem. What do you want to drink with that? So place our order, get up, go through the drive-thru. He has it. We're happy. Everything's great. A couple weeks go by, we're coming back from West Branch, we go through Houghton Lake, he wants to stop at McDonald's again. Hey dad, they got a Kyrie Irving meal now, and I, and I really want to try that meal. And I'm like, Kyrie Irving, how many of these meals are they going to have? How many, what are they going to, what are they doing? So we pull in and we get up to the, the drive through there and I, I place my order and I'm like, yeah, and we'd like a Kyrie Irving meal. Silence. Excuse me? Yeah, I'd like the Kyrie Irving meal. Well, sir, we don't have a Kyrie Irving meal. And I turn around and I look at my son and he's recording me making a fool of myself in the drive-thru. And to make matters worse, I go to school the next day to pick him up and he's showing all of his buddies the video. And he says to me, Dad, I've been planning that for a month. I've been planning that for a month. But see, in our house, revenge is bittersweet, Right? Because when you're at home and you mess with dad, you're in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. Because, you see, I'm not an eye for an eye. I'm an eye for an eye, two arms, and a leg. Right? Because it's coming back tenfold, a lot, and worse. So now he questions whether or not he should go in the bathroom. Can he go to bed? Should he come around the corner? What's in the laundry room? All these things are happening now. But you see... I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking, I can go most of my life that way. And I do interact in most of my life that way. Relationships, business transactions, whatever it is, it's like I'm looking for a way to get revenge if I've been hurt or wronged rather than extending that arm of grace. I'm not always willing to do that. But why am I like this? Why, why am I doing this? Why do I want to repay havoc, right? You see, and I'm like this because I keep score. 
I keep score at everything because it's my measuring stick to how good I'm performing. It's telling me whether or not I'm winning or I'm losing. I look at keeping score as strictly performance. And that's what I'm doing. I'm performing in most of my life. Most of the things that I'm doing. I look, when I've been wronged, I do want payback. And it's, sometimes it's not out of anger. It's not out of revenge, but it's out of glory, right? For this instance, it's going to be complete glory because he is getting it. He just doesn't know when. And it's going to be a lot worse. And it's probably going to be on this screen and social media and everywhere else. But it's coming, and that's glory revenge. I read a poem years ago. I still remember the words in it. It's probably the only poem I've ever read. I had to read it. It's part of my college course. That's the reason why I read the poem. But the words still resonate today. The words still resonate today. He that cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he, must, he himself must pass. And I think about that bridge. What's that bridge? It is. It's forgiveness, right? It's grace. Because if we're willing to sever and we're willing to break that bridge, eventually we're going to also need to cross that thing and get to the other side. And we're going to want somebody else to reciprocate that grace and reciprocate that love and that kindness and that mercy and that forgiveness. But when we sever and we break that thing, it's done, isn't it? And how many of us have done that in relationships that we have? Living a grace-filled life is hard. And I think, too, I think, like, we're going into the holiday season. November 1 today. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. We're around friends. We're around people that we kind of know, maybe some acquaintances, family, close family, extended family, and then the family that really is on the outside that we push out there that have offended us or hurt us. But I'm telling you, within the next 90 days, we're going to see all these people probably that have some way or shape have hurt us, and we've put distance in, and we've not extended grace. Instead, we've extended hate, or we've extended no communication. We've extended no grace, no love. In the next 90 days, we have an opportunity and we have a chance to extend that grace. Because I'm going to tell you what, I think grace, grace is the thing that can change generational hatred. Grace is the thing that can bring, break genera generational curses. Grace is the thing that can rejuvenate relationships that quick. We have that opportunity. Grace doesn't keep track of records or records of wrongs and rights. It doesn't. It's not looking what we're doing right. It's not looking at what we're doing wrong. It's there, undeserving, unmerited. It does not matter. Grace is not based on our wealth, is it? It's not grace based on our intelligence. We have a big week this week, don't we, as a nation, right? Yeah. Election in two days. Grace is not based on your political party. Grace is not based on your race. Grace is not based on your gender. 
There is no basis for grace. Zero. So why is it so difficult? It's hard because what I do is I focus on the absolutes. I want the guarantee. I want the warranty, right? I want the A plus B equals C. Because what I've done is I've lost sight of the mysteries and miracles of Jesus. Because I'm looking for an absolute. And that miracle and that mystery is found in grace. I'm choosing works and performance over grace. And I'm willing to bet most of us in this room can say the same thing. How many, how many of us have, have friends that don't attend church that can relate to a conversation that say they purposely don't go to church because they have not been extended love, kindness, or grace from a fellow Christian that attends church? How many people don't come in the door because somebody has offended them that attends church? We're doing it. And I'm willing to bet it's, most of it's coming from us. Most of it. Grace is hard for me. Grace is hard for me because I'm insecure. I'm an insecure person. I struggle with it. I have a hard time with it. Many of you know I, I coach basketball. I love it. I get to coach it. It's a blast. I have a ton of fun. It's exciting for me. My favorite part's coaching a close game. I love to coach a close game. Tensions are high, aren't they? And I want to win bad because I'm competitive. I want to win really bad. 30-minute, 32-minute game. First 30 minutes are important. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But the last two minutes of a close game are crucial. Crucial. Every possession counts. Each end of the floor matters. Every pass, every turnover, every defensive stop, every bucket. Everything matters in the last two minutes. People are cheering. Refs typically go blind. I don't know why, but that happens. Especially in my case, I always feel wronged somehow. Teams are standing on the sidelines. Student sections are out of their mind. Coaches are pacing back and forth. Happens. Atmosphere, it's exhilarating. It's fun. It's exciting. It's fun hearing people cheer. It's fun hearing the horn go, but you can't hardly hear the horn because of everyone screaming. I love it. But while all this stuff is happening, I look at those five kids that are on the floor, and they're the ones with the pressure, aren't they? Every eye in the gym is on them. They're watching every step they take, everything that they're doing. Every missed bucket, turnover, is counted. But how is it counted? You see, as a coach and as a person, I'm tending to count those missed shots, those fouls that aren't needed. I'm counting those as failures, right? Because that's what the kids are doing on the court, too. And when we're counting those failures, all that does is add to the pressure. I don't like the pressure. I like the fun. I like the excitement. But I don't want the pressure. And I think about our third and fourth graders. We have an elementary basketball program. It's a blast. It's a blast. It's a blast because there's no traveling. I mean, you could run from one end of the court to the other and not get a travel call. The, the hoops are at six foot. They're not at 10 foot. 
And you could take as many shots as you want to make a basket. As many as you want. We just want you to make a basket. We want you to have a good time. We want you to have fun. Without the pressure. You see, but I look at life, and a lot of my life is that last two minutes of that intense basketball game, rather than looking at it as an elementary basketball game. Everything seems to be so intense all the time. It's not necessarily exciting as it is there's pressure to perform or there's pressure to do stuff. Instead of cheering for everyone on my team that scores, no matter how many shots they take, I'm keeping track of the turnovers. I'm keeping track of the missed free throws, the unneeded fouls, the missed shots. I question myself. Did I have the right group on the floor? Should I have called the timeout? Am I running the right defense? Should I press or not press? When to press? All those things are racing through my mind. The list can go on and on and on. You see, but what I'm doing is I'm counting how many times they made a mistake. I'm counting the failures that I've done. I'm counting where we're screwing up. I can treat it like five fouls and you're out. Baseball, three strikes and you're out, right? That's it. There are no do-overs. This isn't golf. You don't give me a gimme or a mulligan. In my insecurity that wants me, it's my insecurity that wants me to keep track of my failures. It's my insecurity. And I'm making a list of that stuff. And I often forget that grace doesn't keep score. It's not keeping score of what we're doing. We read in Psalm 130, verse 3. It says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, a record of sins, Lord, who could, who could stand, right? Not me. Not any of us. Not any of us. We're all making mistakes. And it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to sit here and keep this thing dragging out on and on and on. The list is not compiling and getting higher and higher and higher. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Because we are forgiven. He knows we're going to make mistakes. The greater part of that is I know that I'm forgiven. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not called to be perfect. Grace isn't keeping track of our rights and wrongs, our failures, or disappointments. Grace is holding nothing against us. Nothing. Another thing that gets in my way is theology. Doctrine, religion. You see, my brain understands grace like a social media algorithm, only it's a holy algorithm. It's a holy algorithm full of variables that I assign value to. Am I tithing enough? Am I serving in church enough? Am I reading my personal devotions? Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I mentoring? Am I pastoring? Am I preaching? Am I a representation of Christ? This thing can just grow and grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually it's so cumbersome and so hard, I want to give up. Anybody know the definition of grace? Anybody? No? Undeserved favor. God's free and unmerited favor for our sinful humanity. You see, I could say the word, but I couldn't define it until I started writing this message. 
I couldn't. I really didn't know what the definition was. What's missing in that algorithm? What's missing in that equation? What's missing in that math problem? Jesus. Not once did I, did I mention Jesus. Not once did I put any kind of value. Not once did I even put that variable in there. Why? Because it's all about me. And it's all about my performance. And it's all about the things that I'm doing. To solve an algorithm, you need to do it one step at a time. One step at a time. I like to complete problems one step at a time. Eventually, I have the answer to my problem, right? I've looked through the Bible for a step-by-step example on how to solve the equation for grace and how to do it. I think most Christians, most of us struggle with grace because we attempt to find it in the Bible all laid out on one page for us on how to perform it. Step-by-step, exactly. The thing to do, the thing not to do right? No deviation. It's a straight line. Walk this path and you got it. And make no mistake, this thing is Bible cover to cover, full, absolutely full of stories of grace, right? Full of stories of grace. I think every word highlights God's plan for redemption. But where does it all culminate? Where's the climax? Where do all those stories of redemption come into play? How does it all end? What's it look like? It's up on a hill, on a wooden beam, on a cross, with a man named Jesus nailed to it and crucified on behalf of us, on behalf of me, on behalf of every single person in this room on this planet. Every single one. That's where that all culminates. That's where that all happens. It was up until that point that I've looked at the Bible as words and ideas rather than grace. While the words are true, I could still not find my how-to on grace. These are true. I don't, I'm, I'm not denying that. I don't deviate from that. This is true, through and through, every single word. I believe every single word. But where's my how-to? Where's my step-by-step? Where's my A, B, C, D, E? Step one through five. You see, it was when Jesus was put on that wooden cross, sacrificing his life, it was at that point that grace became became complete to me. It became real. It was at that moment. I'm scouring and I'm looking for every step by step, but it was on that moment where I realized, I really, really realized what Christ did for me on the cross. It was at that moment that I realized what grace was. I believe any understanding of grace without the cross is incomplete and unsolvable. It takes the cross. It takes realizing what was done on our behalf. Grace is not doctrine. Grace is not an arrangement of words or works reflecting at the core about who Jesus is. Why? Because Jesus is grace. Jesus is grace. What I do is not grace. How I perform is not grace. What I give is not grace. How I help is not grace. You sitting in here this morning is not grace. Until I put down my pursuit of grace and I fixed my eyes upon the cross, I was living an incomplete, shallow, and wrathful understanding of God. Wrathful. Wrathful, why? 
Because that worthiness can come in, right? Am I doing the right thing? Judgment comes in. He's gonna str- I, I, can remember, I can remember the first time I stepped foot in campus ministry at Grand Valley University in Grand Rapids. I can remember the first time. And you probably all have heard similar things, like a bolt of lightning is going to come strike me dead in this moment, or hell just froze over, right? Because I just walked into church. Right? It's not true. It's not true. The more I get to know and understand Jesus, the more essential grace becomes in my life the more essential it becomes in my faith and my salvation. I really think as I grow as a Christian, I'm learning that grace is kind of like a must, but it's not a must out of something that I have to do. It's a must out of something that I get to do. My heart is changing. If we hope to grow strong in grace, we must develop a deeper and more personal appreciation for what Christ did on the cross for us. We need to have a relationship with him. We need to understand him. We need to live the best that we can according to his plan and his word. We read in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It happens. It happens. And what this is saying is it's okay. You're not perfect. We also read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. When we believed. When we believed in him, we were saved by grace. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God, salvation, not a reward for the good things that you have done or we have done so that none of us can boast about it, right? Because God knew, God knew that we would want credit, didn't he? We'd want credit. I want credit. I want to boast. I love boasting. It's like when Ethan shot an eight point last night, significantly smaller than mine. So I sent him a picture of my eight point because I want to boast. Not that it was very small or it was, but mine was bigger. I want to boast. He knows that if it's out of our will, we'll take credit. We'll take credit. God loves us unconditionally, and God's grace is not earned. It's not something that we earn. The answer to that algorithm, the answer to that problem that I'm trying to solve is one word. It's Jesus. It's one word. No value, no variable, no problem, no equation, no nothing. It's Jesus. We just have to believe. That's it, plain and simple. Another thing that trips me up is conviction. It's conviction, right? I'm not worthy. The things that I've done, the things that I've done in the past are so bad, nobody could forgive me. Conviction. Why? You see, early on in my faith, in my journey as a Christian, I would hear people talk about the leaders of the Old Testament, the patriarchs of families, tribes, and nations. 
And I say that because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I had people that were Christians around me or that I would interact with. Whether it was people I went to school with or family, some way, shape, or form, you would hear about it. And I would listen. I pay attention to my surroundings. You might catch me off in space, sitting down, watching people. I love to people watch. I like to see the crazy things that people do or listen to the stuff that they say or how they interact with each other. I can also remember how you've wronged me. I can remember how you offended me. I can remember how you hurt me. And I can remember, I can remember what you were wearing. I can remember the temperature outside. I can remember whether or not you had a gum in your mouth or you had a breath mint or you stunk. I can remember what shoes you were wearing. I can remember the room that we were in, the carpet, concrete, painted wall or not. Why? Because I'm trying to keep a record book of rights and wrongs. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. Let it go. Let it go. Let the things go that other people have done against or towards you, but also let go what you've done against or towards other people. And that's the conviction part. So I can still remember the day I sat down and I, I read about these leaders of the Old Testament. I can still remember because I wanted to be that. I wanted to model these good things that people were talking about, right? I wanted to do that. I wanted to be like that. I wasn't happy with the person that I was. A couple things that I've heard. You need to be more like Abraham. I've had it said that I need to live like Jacob. I need to be a leader like Moses or Joshua or David. I want to be a leader like David. David killed Goliath, right? Ethan thought he killed Goliath last night, but he didn't. I did, but he didn't. You see, we have these things. We have these leaders in the Old Testament that people can often refer to and say, you should be more like that. What about you should fight like Samson and no one to flee like Joseph? But I read that and I'm like, I don't want to be like them. Were they really that great of leaders? Should we really follow those men, those people? Because Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a cheater. Moses was a murderer. Samson was a vengeful, self-centered man full of lust. You see, I read the Old Testament, and I don't always think that I want to be a model or a representation of that person's character. But I read the Old Testament, and I look, and I see that story, and I say, that's grace. That's grace, and that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of God taking somebody that's ungodly, not worthy, have done wrongs, and I want to be used by him because those stories are Christ and God taking ungodly people and using those ungodly people to have a life-changing experience in which they could lead generations, in which they could lead families, in which they could lead nations, which brings us to this moment right here and right now where we're trying to help change a world. And it started all the way back then. I want to be a part of that.
I live in conviction. I often think I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've done too much wrong, right? The other night I yelled at one of my kids. I think I yelled at two of my kids in one night, actually. Two of my kids in one night. That's not right. It's not right. But it's not the end of the world. I made a mistake, acknowledged it, and we're moving on. You see, those things are okay. We're acknowledging what we're doing. You see, I think of grace. Grace is a gift, isn't it? It's an undeserved, unearned, unmerited gift in which we have. And that's what we need to rest on. Insecurity, theology, conviction, out the window. Take those struggles, throw them away. Because I stand on the fact that grace is a gift. There's three people in this room this morning that received the gift just for coming into church today. And if you received the gift, would you come up to the front? There's three people I know have a gift in here. going to pick on these people. They really thought they got a gift for coming to church. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> you see, I pay attention to people, and I look, and I watch, and I see what people are doing and saying. I see where people come and go. I watch patterns, and I watched Abby today, and I love Abby. Abby knows that. We've known each other for a long time. But Abby was late today to church. Abby came in after worship started. I think we were probably in song two, and Abby came into church, you know. But we gave Abby a present no matter what. Even though Abby was late, we said, Abby, on behalf of Resurrection Life Church, here's a gift for coming to church today. Let's, let's look at that. You want to open? I'll open it. Yeah, I'll open it. I don't know what's in here. Maybe I do. Oh, look at that. Abby. You got a Nerf gun, Abby. Look at that. It's a rival Nerf gun. And, and I, I might have opened it early. I might have opened it early. I got it, and I was like, man, I really want that. I don't want to give it to Abby. I, I mean, like, I want to play with it because this thing can shoot. It goes a ways, right, Ethan? It goes far, and it hurts. But Abby, on behalf of our church this morning, thank you for coming. Thank you. Even though she was late, right? And then you got Joe. I saw Stephanie actually give Joe the bag. It was really for Stephanie because Stephanie was later than Joe. But Joe's here, and Joe, Joe they come. And they're, they're in church, right? They come before worship. You know, the countdown's like in the middle. So I would kind of call that like on time. Maybe. Not really. Because my theology is, is if you're 15 minutes early, you're still five minutes late. So you were late too, Joe. But it's okay, man. Don't worry about it. But we got you a gift anyways for coming to church this morning. All right? We love you, Joe. All right? Do you want to see what it is? 
What, what do you think it is? Bigger one? B- bigger one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see, let's see what you got. It would be better if it was bigger, wouldn't it? It would be. Look at that. It's the same Nerf gun. It's the same Nerf gun. I didn't open yours because I knew Lydia would, like, shoot you the whole way home with it. So I didn't want to do that. But you got the same Nerf gun. Thank you for coming to church today. Even if you're late, it's okay. And you got Nate Metzger. See, Nate's holy. You want to know why Nate's holy? Nate was on time. Nate was on time. He was here. Countdown didn't even start. Their whole, look at, they're like ducks in a row. They're all sitting together back there in the sanctuary. Way to go. He is a coach, too. He probably is blowing the whistle the whole way in here. But they're on time. Your gift is probably huge. Don't you think? You did. You earned it. You did. By coming to church early today, you earned it. Not only did you earn it, you deserve it, right? Because that's a good word, deserve. Look at that. You got, you got the same Nerf gun, man, even though you were early. Is that right? You deserve more. I agree. I agree. You deserve more. Why? Because he's more holy. We're not more holy than each other. It doesn't matter what time we get to church. It doesn't even matter if we're here today. You can be late. You cannot come to church on a Sunday morning. It's okay if you have to watch it from Facebook or live stream. It does not matter. Do we want you here? Yes. Does God want you here? Yes. Fellowship of believers? Absolutely. We're not saying take a pause from church, but I'm saying if you miss a Sunday, my goodness, the world is still going to go round and round and round. It's okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You guys can keep your gifts. There's also a $100 gift card in there for Meebles. Thank you for our participation. You see, the, there's a, a parable in Matthew, right? In Matthew, it talks about the field workers. And you got the field workers that go start working in the vineyard early in the morning. Then you got them at noon. Then you got them at 3 o'clock. Then you got them at 5 o'clock. And what do they do? They all turn around and they want to get paid at the end of the day, right? But the one that worked a couple hours gets paid the one that worked the same, or the, they get paid the same for the one that worked all day in the heat. All day. Morning, noon, night. He's working. Gets paid the same as the guy that worked a couple hours. I'm looking at that guy, and I'm wanting more. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. You see, we're supposed to be reminded that grace does not keep track of what we've done, when we've started or when we've stopped. It's not paying attention to that stuff. It's paying attention to our heart. I think of my wife this way because I I wrote down, isn't it funny how grace does not bother people who know how much they need grace to see it given so freely? My wife's like that. She's got like uber grace. She's something else. I'm not. I got like leftover grace, maybe grace. But it doesn't need to be that way. You see, she understands, she knows I'm looking at the I deserve or I need or I want or it's justified 
Grace upsets those of us who think that we need to earn grace with our works, with our performance, with our score. Grace upsets those of us trying to find the DIY instruction manual. DIY channel, what a bunch, nah, never mind. <laughs> Nobody's building a house in 20 minutes. Except for him. It takes time. It takes time. Grace does not work if we're concerned about getting our fair share. It doesn't work if we're concerned about what, what we're getting versus what someone else is getting. Give it freely. Not expecting it back. God's grace is infinite and unending and never in short supply. And I can tell you this one thing. I've talked umpteen times about how many things I've done, rights and wrongs. I can tell you that every situation that I have not extended grace, I can look back and I regret. Every single one. I regret it. But never once have I regretted a situation in which I've extended grace to somebody. Not once. Not one time. Grace does not keep track. Grace is not keeping score. Heavenly Father, we love you. <clears throat> Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we know that <clears throat> you're not keeping rights and wrongs. We know that you're not keeping track. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you love us unconditionally. And Lord, it's us seeking your heart. It's us seeking your guidance. It's us seeking the will, the plan that you have in our lives, Lord. Lord, we thank you for working with us. We thank you for giving us opportunities to show your grace, your love, your kindness, your mercy, extended beyond ourselves. Lord, be with our nation this week. Be with the leaders of our nation. Extend them all grace. And this week, we need to extend grace especially to each other, Lord. Lord, give us an opportunity this week in which we can show your grace. Give us an opportunity this week in which we can show your love, your kindness, in a way that is unexpected, in a way in which we put our, our human minds and we say that it's not earning, not deserved, but let us give it in a way that's unconditional. Let us give it in a way that's always loving and always kind and always thankful. In your name we pray, amen. You, <clears throat> we have a busy week this week, right? An important week this week as a nation, correct? Election in two days. We need to show grace for each other to love each other. God already knows who's going to win. Our vote matters. Our vote counts. But God is in control. God is in control. I haven't lived a very long time. I'm 41. I can kick the bucket whenever. I don't care anymore. I used to. I don't. 
There's people that have lived a long time, have a lot of experience. In my short time here on life, I've never experienced where a piece of paper over on my mouth can divide a nation. Have grace for each other. This is ridiculous. We are supposed to be loving and kind and compassionate and thoughtful. We need to pray for the leader of our nation. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray for our mayor. We need to pray for our kids' principals. We need to pray for our pastor. We need to pray for each other. And that's what we do as Christians. And that's what we do as a church. Do that this week, please. You guys be blessed and have an amazing week. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.